Welcome to Teaching Matters, the University of Edinburgh's hub for discussing, showcasing, critiquing, and celebrating teaching and learning. We are a website, a blog, a podcast, and maybe most importantly, a small group of people passionate about providing platforms for conversations revolving around teaching and learning in higher education. If you're looking to discover educational resources, read the latest academic developments and research, or listen to thought-provoking conversations between educators and learners, Teaching Matters is the place for you. It's academia made accessible. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Edinburgh University Students Association Teaching Awards podcast series, working with the Institute for Academic Development's Hybrid Learning Exchange to celebrate those who have been nominated and shortlisted for this year's awards. In spite of the challenging and ever-changing academic year we've had, both through adapting learning approaches and keeping students engaged and motivated, over 1,300 different staff were nominated in over 2,800 nominations, making it the biggest since 2012. We will be speaking to staff from across the university, from professional services and support staff, student tutors and academics, from a range of schools and departments. With the awards this year, we want to recognise the commitment demonstrated by all our nominees, many of whom have continued to provide an excellent standard of teaching and student support in challenging personal and professional circumstances. Some have been based here in Edinburgh, many have been scattered across the globe. Many have had cats, dogs, and other pets feature in the background of their teaching. Many had to try new and innovative ways to apply their practice to an online setting. All had to deal with wavering internet connections and clashing time zones, fostering a sense of community in their students and developing their approach week by week. In this series, we hope to explore the experiences of some that have been shortlisted, to discuss their experiences of of this year, the impact of the awards to them, and how their role in the university has developed this year. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this recording for the Teaching Awards podcast. My name is Grace Lavender. My pronouns are she, her, and I am currently a fourth year religious studies student. I'm going to finish studying in about a week. Actually, a week today is when my final 24-hour exam finishes. In this past year, I've also been the student council facilitator um, at the Students Association. So in that role, I've been hearing some of the grievances of students, but also lots of the amazing things that students have been doing in this past year, the way that students have been using student council in particular to fund their own campaigns or to enact change throughout the Students Association and then by extension, the university itself. So I'm really excited to be here to talk about the teaching awards with you both. So with me today, I have Judy and Elizabeth, and I'm going to pass over to you guys to introduce yourselves. Hello, I'm Judy Hardy. I'm a professor of physics education in the School of Physics and Astronomy. I'm also the Dean of Learning and Teaching for the College of Science and Engineering. I was nominated for Personal Tutor of the Year. It's great to uh, great to hear that, Judy, and nice to meet you, Grace. My name is Elizabeth Bomberg, and I'm a professor of environmental politics in the subject area of politics and international relations, and that sits within our broader school of social and political science. And I am thrilled to say I was nominated and now shortlisted for Teacher of the Year for our college. So that's the College of Arts, Humanities and the Social Sciences. And I'm really looking forward to this chat. 
Great. Thank you so much for those introductions. So we're going to kick right off with our first question, which is very broad. So it's a good little warm up. What do the teaching awards mean to you? Well, the entire teaching award scheme, I find absolutely amazing. And I'm sure I won't be the only one to say how wonderful it feels uh, to be a part of this scheme, to have been nominated. But one thing that has really struck me is that I'm hoping that the scheme works for all parties. In other words, I could rhapsodize about how much it means to me to be nominated by these students. But I'm also hoping that it means quite a lot to the students themselves. I hope it gives them a way to shape their own learning environment by providing that really positive feedback that signals to the teaching and other staff what's working, what should we do uh, more of, because we all know that positive feedback is an incredibly effective way to improve our teaching and learning. I would agree with all of those things. Actually, the the teaching was, if I remember right, the Student Association was the first student association to set up the student-led teaching awards. I remember that happening and thinking at the time, this is just such a fantastic thing and I really hope it it gets traction and, and keeps going. And it did and it has. And I think that in and of itself is, is actually a testament to just well, the work of the Student Association, the willingness of students to, to be involved and giving students the opportunity to to say that give the sort of feedback that they they want to give and it is great to get these this positive feedback what does it mean to me well it's interesting i suppose it's you know we don't do the job we do for recognition that's not that's not why we do the our work but i have to be honest it's it is great i'm deeply touching to get this sort of boost so yeah that's what it means to me personally. But I do know that staff really value the teaching awards. I hope students do. I, I, I can't pretend to speak for students. But from what staff say to me, and from what students say to me, I know they are really valued. And I think that's fantastic. Can, can I butt in in a, an incredibly selfish uh, way? When these awards started, I think it was way back in 2008 or, or nine. I was also fortunate enough to be Uh, nominated uh, at at that very first uh, ceremony. And what I remember was that because Edinburgh and USA was the first to do this, uh, or amongst the first in the UK, I remember the uh, national press coverage. And now, thanks to USA, thanks to you guys, there's a whole slew of other universities who have taken this idea on, the idea of positive feedback and that recognition. So well done to, to USA. Yeah, no, 100%. And that's um, really nice to hear, especially as somebody I've worked for USA kind of throughout my time at university at Student Council. And then before then, I used to work at Big Cheese. So all the kind of different elements of USA. So it's definitely really nice to hear. So thank you for those answers. We've got our next question, which is, why do you think you were nominated? And I know that can sometimes be a bit of a tricky one to answer, or at least I think I would find that tricky to answer. But don't feel that you have to be embarrassed, you know, feel free that you can... (laughs) sort of back yourself up? Uh, The truth of the matter is I I don't know at some level. I was deeply touched to be nominated. I I hope and and always hope to say I do a a good job as a personal tutor. I've I've not heard things to the contrary, generally speaking, so I I guess it's a vindication of that. But uh, 
I suppose maybe one reason is, you know, times have been hard for everybody, actually. Times have been times have been difficult. We've all had a lot of negotiation, adaption to do. And I suppose when times are like that, if you have somebody who's available to you, who is just that that person who you can go to, which is actually what I, if, if you ask me what I wanted to be as a person tutor, it's that person. Someone that, that you know, that you feel you can trust, that you can go to. And, and I think perhaps it can be helpful. It's helpful always, I think, but particularly in times when, when everyone's stability is, is sort of shifting around them. So, so maybe it's that. Judy, it sounds already I can hear that you clearly care a lot about your students and want to do right by them. So I imagine that's a big part of the reason you were nominated. And especially this year, the idea of a personal tutor reaching out in a proactive way to just check on wherever you are in the world, you know, let me know if you uh, if you need our help. Did you did you find that? Yeah. Well, interesting. So, uh, yes, but I, I, I'm, I suppose I, I'm getting slightly off topic here, but did I change the way I approach things this year? Actually, no, not really, other than moving online. I, what, I, what I have tried to do is keep very much business as usual, because I think the more stability you can give, the better. Uh, well, actually, a lot of it is know your students, to be, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and we're all individuals. And some people would would want that. Not everybody would. So I think it's it is it is a part of it. But I personally think also there's a lot to do with building relationship. And then I think it becomes much easier to to just make the connections when they're needed without being overly intrusive. That's not something that anybody wants to be. But always, you know, hopefully being there at the right time, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Well, this this idea of building connections, I think that might be relevant to my answer uh, as well as uh, why I was nominated. I think that I'm very, very fortunate part because my uh, students are themselves incredibly engaged and enthusiastic. I teach environmental politics. So these are students who take an active interest in what is going on and learning more about it, as do students more generally, I'm sure. But the more I was able to nurture that, the more I was able to let the students know that, look, we are on this journey together. We want to ensure that you are getting the most out of your learning experience here. So we've got these big challenges, both in terms of the immediate challenges of COVID, and then we have these large global challenges. How can we collectively, how can we connect to learn more about this and to work together to think about uh, solutions and, and ways forward? So I'm hoping that that engagement and that sense of connection and that sense of in, uh, enthusiasm as well, I'm hoping maybe that that rubbed off and they felt that they could uh, play a very specific role in terms of encouraging that kind of connection by perhaps nominating someone they thought was uh, doing a good job in those areas, maybe. <laughs> yeah, no, great. And I think both of you making 
very good points that definitely were resonating with me as a student. And that kind of leads quite nicely on into our next question, or at least aspects of what we've been talking about there lead into our next question, which is, what does your nomination mean to you and how might this inform your approach next academic year? Because I know, Judy, you mentioned that actually a lot of what you've been doing this year is maintaining stability, trying to, you know, what's what's the word? Captain the ship on steady waters, sort of. <laughs> so yeah, I'll repeat that question. What does your nomination mean to you and how might this inform your approach next academic year? Well, the nomination, like the whole scheme, means an awful lot to me, as it does others, for the reasons we've discussed. But in terms of how it how it might uh, shape my uh, approach in future years, I have been really struck by some of the themes uh, that emerge from the uh, nominations, both this year but throughout the years. And in fact, I know that USA uh, a few years ago collected from the various, from the whole slew of nominations, USA itself collected in a really useful booklet, a a synopsis of some of these uh, themes. So the themes that have struck me and that I take forward to inform or will take forward to inform my teaching are something that we've already touched upon, that sense of connectivity. Students want to know that they're not just being lectured and they're not being taught at that They want to know that they are part of a learning experience that we are conducting together. So I take that forward in the way I design my courses and the way I deliver them. The other theme that came forward this year from the uh, nominations was a a sense of engagement, even when normal engagement wasn't possible. So we can maybe talk about this later, but a lot of the students highlighted what they appreciated about my move to online learning and how uh, I still tried to keep that sense of connectivity and engagement and excitement, even though we couldn't see each other face to face. So that's probably what I'll take forward, even if we are able to go back to a more traditional face to face. There's a lot I've learned for sure. So for me, what does it? What does the nomination mean to me? Well, um, as I say, it, 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 it's a, it is a boost, that's for sure. But it also, I suppose, tells me that the work that that I do as a personal tutor, and actually I would extend that to personal tutors, is important and is meaningful and is something that is valued by students. Personal tutoring, in that sense, is quite interesting. We don't have end of end of year feedback we don't have mid-semester feedback we don't have these very direct ways actually that you can get of gathering feedback on your teaching and, and we all do and we all look at that very carefully often when things are going well you don't hear very much and that's good because if things are going well and the you know you, you're having you just having sort of chats about academic things and and what courses people might be doing and how it's going and careers and things like that which is very it's interesting and useful and 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 I always like to know what's happening. But it's good to know that you can, I suppose, help students and help students help themselves, actually, because in fact, students are just so remarkable and resilient and can achieve so much. And very often what's needed is just that reassurance and that encouragement along with actually the practical help of navigating a big university, navigating sometimes some complex systems. I think that can, that's, that's, so it's that combination. 
how will it inform what I do next year? I suppose person tutoring is a role I have a lot of enthusiasm for anyway. I see it as something that's that's really important to me. And it's given me that renewed boost and enthusiasm to, to continue doing that. Great. No, um, two great answers. Definitely really lovely to hear. So thank you for those. So the next question that we have is something that honestly yesterday the staff kind of struggled with, which I was quite surprised by. Because what kind of came out of this question, which is, I shall, I shall say the question, what does a typical day look like in your role and how has this changed with remote learning and teaching? What really came out of our discussions yesterday was that for a lot of people, there is no typical day anymore. Lots of the things that usually we used to kind of demarcate time have kind of been taken away. So, for example, you know, getting to the office at this time or going to your lecture at this time in person. But I would be interested to see if you both have had similar experience um, where kind of your days are all quite jumbled and you're doing different things, or if you have managed to kind of get back to some kind of semblance of structure and every day being sort of the same. So, Judy, I'll ask you first, um, what does a typical day look like in your role and how has this changed with remote learning and teaching? Oh, well, there is no typical day. Um, there never has been a typical day, actually. And it's much more seasonal in my role as an academic. In my teaching this year, Although, well, in semester one, I was doing some in-person teaching. So I was in, I was in KB and doing my teaching there um, as well as online. In semester two, it was all online. But what I did and what not all, but many staff in my school did is all our teaching, all my teaching was synchronous. So I was doing synchronous online lectures, which actually worked surprisingly well. And yes, they were nine o'clock. And yes, some of them were nine o'clock on a Monday morning. But it gave it gave structure, it gave structure for me, for students, and also actually gave much more interactivity, which is really what we're after. So in that sense, I suppose things were not so dissimilar. However, yes, you're right. I used to cycle to work every morning and that was fantastic. I loved it. And in fact, so was embarrassing, you know, I have to admit, I now cycle to work and then I cycle back home again because I need to get that bit in the fresh air in the morning just to clear my head and get myself settled for the day. So I create my own routines. A typical day for me actually often is now sat in front of Zoom or Teams or Collaborate, doing whatever it is I'm doing. It almost certainly involves me sitting in front of a computer, talking to people in just the same way as we're, as we're doing now. So that's the big change. Plus, as I say, the commute, which is, well, I'd go and say from the kitchen to, to, to here, but in the morning it's via... <laughs> That's excellent, Judy. And it's so interesting that you have named something that I miss almost as much as seeing the students face to face. And what I one of the things I miss the absolute most is my daily cycle to campus. And I never realized how important that was. It's not a long cycle. I'm not super fit that way. But I think getting that fresh air and getting the circulation and also, to be honest, I like the demarcation between work and uh, home. And of course, for everyone, students included, that's now become uh, blurred. So I I, I look forward to getting back to that. But I'm going to take a tip from Judy and just do a pretend cycle to campus and turn around and then come back. And I, I bet I'm fresher because of it. So that, that's really interesting. And also, uh, Grace and Rohana, I bet you hear from virtually all your interviewees that there's not a 
typical day. And hallelujah for that, because one of the things that I and I'm sure others love, love about my job is precisely that variety, that it's not a nine to five grind, quite the opposite. So it's always packed full of different types of tasks and and initiatives. What has changed with remote learning, and again, I think this is for the students as well, that there's a spatial difference, obviously, and that's really important. We shouldn't underestimate that because being on campus, I think, has certain benefits that we can't necessarily quantify, but you feel much more, I think, that you're part of the community and you're separating your your home life from your uh, studying or, or work life, which I think is healthy. So my students, I'm sure, are, you know, they're, they're tired of seeing me always in the same place here with a blurred or sometimes not blurred background. But again, you, you know, we've, uh, like Judy, I've also tried to take advantages of the change. Yes, it's different. And can we embrace this change? And can can we work with the students? And this is one of the projects we did early on with the students. Okay, we are going to be teaching virtually. We're not going to have face-to-face, especially in a semester two. Let's brainstorm some ideas for how can we make this as interactive as possible? What kinds of initiatives and ideas do you have? I've got some as well as do my colleagues, and we can put them together. And one of our first discussions early on is what was important to the students. How can we engage them even though we're online? What kinds of activities do they have in mind? Not because we are sitting back and want them to do the answer, but because I think if you can work with the students early on so that they see that these are real challenges, but we're going to get through them together, I think the whole attitude of the learning shifts. So I think that worked well, better in semester two for me than in semester one. But that's something that I want to continue even when we're back in face-to-face, having initial discussion with the students about these are the objectives. These are some ideas for how we want to meet them. Do you have any initial ideas that we should explore together even before we get started? Yeah, those are two great answers. And I think this question in particular has kind of become over the past two days, the question in a way that I like the most, because I think as students, sometimes we get this impression that our lecturers, personal tutors, academics in general are kind of like in a league (laughs) above us or kind of away from us. But actually, that's not true. And lots of the struggles that students have been having in terms of, you know, working from home, you know, some people working from like literally from their hometown, where they are from, other people working from their flats in Edinburgh, not being able to get that commute in that they're used to, are definitely things that I found been resonating also with staff. It's strange, and obviously I'm not trying to rejoice in the fact that we're all kind of going through these tough things together, but I think it is really nice for students through this podcast to hear that actually lots of the things that they've kind of been a bit like, oh, that's a bit hard, that staff have been feeling that as well. So that's really great. Really interesting to hear, because for me, it's it's trying to get the line right there because what I would not want to do is come across as saying, look, you know, we're all, we've, we've all got these problems. You just have to sort of suck it up and get on with it. But on the other hand, perhaps you're right, perhaps a bit more openness about the fact that, yeah, we all get Zoom fatigue and it, it does get a bit much after a day of 11 meetings or however many lectures and tutorials and so on people have had. So it's interesting actually to hear that. And I was just going to add quickly, it's another example of what we were speaking about earlier, the sense of connection. 
the connection between staff and students. That is absolutely crucial to a, a positive learning environment. And if you can make this challenge a shared challenge and work through it together, that can really strengthen that sense of connection. So I think this is another example of that as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, thank you very much for those little add-on answers there. So I'm going to move on to the next question. Uh, how would you describe your adaption to remote learning and teaching? That could be anything between quite literally what you did to adapt, like what the actual things you did were, but also how did that feel? Were there challenges to that that you had? Were there things that you kind of enjoyed about that challenge? Boy, I, I have to tell you, this was one of the steepest learning curves ever for me because of the suddenness with which this transition took place. And also because I am someone who's been teaching for many, many years. And although I've seen change in teaching and I've embraced that change, I've never seen change quite that abrupt. So I had to learn an awful lot very quickly about online learning, even things about recording lectures and using Blackboard Collaborate and uh, Teams and Zooms and setting, making sure I've got the light and the camera and my microphone. I mean, those very technical quotidian matters. And I'm happy to say we had super IT support along those lines. But more than that, more generally, as you were suggesting, Grace, it's not just the technical learning. It also forced me and forced us and the students to think quite differently about our teaching and learning experience. So not just trying to replicate what we do on an online forum, but rather thinking, okay, how can we actually seize the opportunities of moving online and make more use of those opportunities that online teaching Brings. So what I did with my students is we worked together. It was one of their assignments to create uh, together a, a video as one of the answers to one of our seminar tutorial questions. They would work together for it had to be an interactive video. For another course, we would have and students help plan this a series of quizzes or polls. So using Blackboard Collaborate for that, using even things like the chat function for students who might be hesitant to speak up or maybe their Wi-Fi isn't working. But I really like this chat on the on the side because it opened up opportunities. Or one other example that I really enjoyed and and here's one by the way, Grace, that came from the students. And then we worked on it together and we used it in one of my courses, which part of their assignment was they had to come up with a podcast their own working things, a podcast on that. It, it was around uh, the politics of climate change in this case. So, wow, we opened up all kinds of opportunities. And again, because the students were working with me on that initiative, it didn't go smoothly. There were so many bugs, but we were all in this together. So there was a lot of tolerance and patience from the students. And that I hugely appreciated and needed as well. <laughs> Okay, so for me, I mean, I could I could talk about the, the, the various technical things and so on, but that's probably a, a sort of niche interest really as to how we translate from writing on chalkboards into doing the online equivalents and so on. But thinking back about this, sort of stepping back about this, how would I describe my adaption into, the, into remote learning and teaching? Well, initially, I would say I was slightly terrified because you are so dependent on technology that what do you do if you know if, if you're in a room with people you can get by 
what do you do? And is it going to work? And all of these questions that were, that were mulling around all our heads, I think there's no doubt about that. And as Elizabeth said, the speed of the change, of course, meant that we were all winging it to some extent, having to, at first, at first. Of course, that changed with time. And in fact, I was surprised how I adapted and how I did adapt to talking, you know, through this medium and, and to discussing things with students through this medium. I suppose the one thing I would say, though, is, and I remember saying this many times, particularly when I was teaching, is that I don't think I'm a, I'm a natural radio presenter. I, <laughs> yes, we get interaction through chat. And in some of my um, teaching, when I'm, when I'm talking directly one-on-one -on -one to students, then we have cameras going, and that's fantastic. But often, of course, it, it's to larger groups, and, and that's mainly through text chat. And I, yeah, we all adapt to it. We all get used to it. But uh, it would be great to be to be back when we can all have that human contact, actually. It isn't because good things aren't happening online. Some fantastic things are happening on, online. But there's no question about that. It's just there needs to be a balance. And I think we all miss that, that basic that basic need for human contact and also feeling part of a community. I think that's one thing that has been, I think, particularly problematic for students, even if you're not feeling particularly chatty, to be working with people alongside people in what I'd call a shared endeavour and to sanity check what you're doing. But actually, yeah, I'm kind of finding this a bit tough. Well, actually, you look around and see everybody else. So we're, we're all in this together. That's been quite hard, I think. I think it's been particularly hard for students. I mean, it's been hard for staff, but we're kind of, as Elizabeth said, we've been sort of teaching for a long time. But I think for students, it's, it, it's, that's something that I think has probably been quite tough. Yeah, no, certainly. And actually, I'm really glad that you've mentioned community there. And I know this kind of also comes back to Elizabeth, what you've been talking about kind of throughout this meeting about connectivity as well, because our final question, which I think is a really nice question to end on, is how have you aimed to build a community with students this year? Or if you want just talk more generally about community, the importance of community, especially in these strange COVID times. Building a community with students. So in terms of my personal duties, then we meet online in teams and we keep our community going that way. I'm very lucky in my students. They're fantastic. We've, I hope, got to know each other a little bit and, and uh, I hope comfortable in each other's presence. And that's really, really helpful because when you have that relationship, I think you can move it to the online world and that's, that's much more doable than, than establishing new relationships, I think, is sometimes harder. In terms of teaching, Building community, it's, it's not through fantastic technical innovations, it's just through interaction. As I say, synchronous lectures for me, using the chat function is, is just been a, a revelation actually for students. And I noticed Elizabeth mentioned that earlier. And in fact, as an aside, I have a couple of student projects going this year um, who have been looking at this. And I, I think and hope they found it quite interesting because they've been able to see this from the student side and, and also get a glimpse into the lecturer side of this as well. And in terms of my other thought of teaching, I teach them, um, some quite big programming courses. And again, I've tried to keep that very personal. So we do live one-to-one -one feedback through Collaborate, actually in terms of students um, using breakout rooms and so on. And that's something that students seem to have really appreciated this year, which is great. So, yeah, just trying all these things. Some things work, some things 
maybe not so much, but you just have to keep trying them and, and, and try and find things that work for everybody. I can follow up on that because Grace, you've nailed it when you highlighted the importance of community and this definitely predates COVID, right? And especially Edinburgh is a huge university. In my own subject area, politics and international relations, we have you know, nearly 800 students. So our big challenge always is trying to get this sense of community. So one of the things that we've been working on you know, through COVID, but then we can expand this, is this idea of sub-communities as well. So we're all one big community, but because we're hundreds and hundreds or the courses are large, I think the more that we can facilitate students to think about uh, group projects, not always the same group, but breaking up into small groups, working together on a project is a wonderful way to build that community. And during COVID, when we haven't been able to meet, we had to be very creative. So we had students for environmental politics, postgrad students had to, if they wanted to meet one other person outside and reflect on the you know human nature environment and then come back and report. So we don't, it's not up to, to staff, we can't create that community but we can facilitate students to create that themselves. And the last thing I'll say on that is it doesn't need to be in the classroom. And often some of the best community building initiatives are not in the classroom. They're done through uh, USA and the USA societies. They're done through the amazing score of events that we have going on. So our job as teachers and staff, as I see it, is to facilitate students so that they themselves can build that uh, build that community, both within their subject area and within the university more generally. I would just echo: this is clearly about much more than than, than the academic side of things. And and for students, um, what we can do to help students there is is you know is hugely important. But yeah, it's students student communities out with the academic side of things absolutely critical and hugely important. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much. Those are two great answers that I know as a student who's been in a whole number of societies. I definitely agree. And I think the role that academic communities play, but also that uses communities and broader student communities play is just so important to students and to their well-being. We've come to the end of our time. So I'd like to thank you both very, very much uh, for speaking to me today. I think this is a really great project and I'm excited for other students to be able to hear our conversations because I know as a student, not that I'm claiming to represent all students, but that lots of the things that we've spoken about today really hit a chord with students in a positive way. So yeah, I'd just like to thank you both very much. And, and a huge thank you to, to you guys and, and to Yusa for making this possible. You have done a, a wondrous job. So well done you. I would echo that. And thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope to celebrate as many nominees as possible through the Hybrid Teaching Exchange, where some of our nominees have blog posts sharing their experiences. Keep an eye out on our social media pages on the 12th of May, where all of the winners will be announced throughout the day. Teaching Matters is brought to you by the University of Edinburgh's Institute for Academic Development. Episodes release every Friday, so please follow or subscribe on whatever platform you use to listen. We'd also be delighted for you to join the conversation. Please feel free to comment on our blog or send us an email at teachingmatters@ed.ac.uk. at ed.ac.uk. Music for today's show was provided by Toon Sounds. 
Until next time, stay curious.